Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse Show. A lot to talk about this week. This is a big week here. Got that right. For Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we are uh, involved in the Dodger Prayer Rally, along with Catholics for Catholics, yep. the two primary organizations that are putting this together. And just want to remind you that this month is not the month of pride, never has been, never oh. will be. It is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And this came to us in 1693. And as Catholics, we should make Jesus Christ the center of every single home, marriage, and family. Terry? Welcome, Jesse. You got that right. Hey, today's topics, how libraries came to be sanctuaries for sin. Well, Return to Orders article. What a great article that is. Also, the witness of religious habits and cassocks in our culture that acts like God doesn't exist. Uh, you know, one of the comments I'll make about we lost our branding uh, as Catholics, not just the sisters when they took their habit off, but we need to know exactly what Catholics believe. That's why going back to the fundamentals always helps. And Jesse, I will only be here for the first segment because I've got to get to a wedding. But I wanted to say the good to know file. I love Cardinal Burke. He came out again and he says um, he's questions about the validity of the upcoming Senate. He said there's no clear idea of what synodality is. Yeah. And he said this. And this was my own prayer, Jesse. I don't know if you pray this. My own prayer, he says, Cardinal Burke is that every day to our Lord is that somehow he, God, makes it so that the Senate doesn't take place because I frankly can't see any good coming from it. You know what? I'm on his side on that one, Jess. Amen. Also, another, when I talk about examples of standing up to the culture, here's a, a Catholic father. He's a, uh, a farmer, Ross McKnight, father of five. He loses two-thirds of his farming business for what? What did he do, Jesse? You know what he did? He criticized the Pride Month like we just did on Instagram, okay? And his customers, the restaurants that buy food from him said, you're done, dude. You can't do that. That's against, you know, we're not going to support you. So God love him. And, you know, I, I go to the LifeSite News. You can send him a little money. That'd be great because he's, uh, he's not dealing with, you know, woe is me saying, you know what? I'm willing to stand. You know what he said, Jesse, that really touched me as a wow. father? Wow. He says, if we don't stand here on the last assault of the family— yeah. Then there's no more ground left behind us. He's a man's yeah. man. They're going to walk us off the plank into shark-infested waters. You got it. We cannot back off from this point. Uh, oh. This is the, this is civilization hangs on the balance. What are Catholics That's going this, to do? Yeah, and Jesse, good news. Polls showing Americans are overwhelmingly turning against the radical transgender ideology, and uh, the article just points out that percentages are going crazy, and this is why. You know, the uh, Target and the Bud Light and other companies are finding that people aren't supporting them. This poll shows people have had enough. You've hit it too hard. And I, this is what I think they did. They tried to change America too fast. Thanks be to God. And people are saying, not on my watch. Thanks be to God. How about your good to know file, Jess? Yeah, Terry, before I get into today's gospel, yeah. I just have a compassionate message to Archbishop Gomez. Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. Terry, uh, a couple of years ago, we all watched the movie For Greater Glory. I remember. And that was, it depicted the epic historical Mexican war drama. Right. Back in the 1920s. Yep. Uh, where there was uh, impassioned men and women, Catholic men and women in Mexico, that risked everything they had, Terry, their family, their faith, their country. Yep. To stand up to a tyrannical government. Yep. That of Plutarco Calles. Yep. And I'll tell you, one of the protagonists in the movie was General Gorostieta, played by Andy Garcia. He did a good job, too. He was a retired wow. military general yes. 
who witnessed, along with his family, the fall of Mexico into yes. a violent civil war. Yes. And so he, he went from retirement <laughs> and he went from being apolitical, irreligious. He went into becoming one of the most inspiring, self-sacrificing leaders of this ragtag resistance army called the Cristeros. And he ended up uh, opposing the government. Yep. Uh, and he transformed this ragtag band of rebels into a heroic fighting force. Well, guess what, Terry? I'm asking Archbishop Gomez to be our General Gorostieta. We need Archbishop Gomez to come out and to rally us. I remember General Gorostieta, Andy Garcia, the last words, Terry, before the final battle. And this is what we need. We need Archbishop Gomez to stand in the breach with us yep. and to lead us like a general. General Gorostieta said this, quote, Today, we're going to send a message. Freedom is our home, our wives, our children, and we will defend it or die trying. Que viva Cristo Rey. You must remember, men will fire bullets, but God will decide where they land. Terry Barber and myself are asking, as, 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 as faithful sons of the church, Amen. for Archbishop Gomez to, to come out with us and lead us like a general. The last thing I'll say is this. When a Catholic bishop of his of the diocese that he has a mandate over, when a Catholic bishop prays chapter 3, the exorcism against Satan and the fallen angels over a city, Pope Leo XIII, Terry, yes. he told us that a bishop's prayer over the city that he's in charge of when he prays chapter 3, Exorcism against Satan and the fallen angels. He says a bishop's prayer employed properly has the power to expel the devil's sway over any location, over any parish, and over any city. In other words, Powerful. we need Archbishop Gomez to stand with us on that mountain overlooking Dodger Stadium and pray chapter 3. His prayer compared to ours, he we fired Terry arrows in the air, maybe yeah. 22s and AR-15s. <laughs> Archbishop Gomez, he fires cannons from a Navy ship. This is what happens when a bishop prays over the city he's entrusted. He drives demons out over the entire place. I'm done, Terry. I love it, Jess. And you know what? You have a supernatural outlook look to this life to a biblical worldview this is what we need to do but i want to just throw one more thing in jesse i know we get to the gospel but think about what happened in 1949 in china there was a cardinal who was chinese that the holy father entrusted to become the first chinese cardinal and when the communists came in to challenge the catholics and throw them into jail and persecute them he took off and ran away to america yeah and he hid in Chicago the rest of his life. He never stood up. And when he came to want to visit the Holy Father, the Holy Father wouldn't see him. And he sent one of his secretaries down and said, ask him this question. Do you know why you wear red? No. You know, because you should be in China right now with your people in jail. You shouldn't be in America free. See, and this is why I think, Jesse, a lot of people think that this March that we're just prayer vigil, that we're making reparation for the sacrileges that the Dodgers are doing. We can do it at the church. Some people want to go and pray. Hey, that's, you know, fine, you can go pray. But you know what? We need the foot soldiers out there making a witness and reparation for these sacrileges because I'm convinced, Jesse, if Catholic Church understood redemptive suffering, those guys would be all converted because of yes. the prayers that people pray for their conversion. What's happened is we've become too silent, Jesse, physically 
and also our spiritual life too silent. I'm done. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Wow, what a good gospel for... Right yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but, be, to, be, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, including you bishops, especially. You're the lighthouses. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and, put, and then put it under the, a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly father, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we're going to do this Friday, Terry. We're you going nailed to it. A light, our light That's right. We're light posts. In yeah. Los Angeles. That's right. We're, we're a lighthouse. Yep. And we want to just dispel the darkness. There's the two truth. illustrations here that today's holy gospel makes. Mm-hmm. We're called to be the salt of the earth. And that's what we're going to do on Friday. We want to bring season and preserve the world with the gospel of peace. We're also going to be the light of the world. We want to bear witness to Jesus Christ, along with Protestants are going to be with us. By the And way, some Terry. Jews, too, and, I might yes. add. And, and by the way, both salt and light, both of these images are linked back to the Old Testament. The Bible also says we're called to be a city set on a hill. Well, that we're going to be on a hilltop overlooking Dodger Stadium. But this verse actually alludes to Jerusalem on Mount Zion. It's a visible sign of the eternal city that awaits the saints in heaven one day to come when Christ comes back at his second coming. And finally, we're called to by our actions, Terry, to glorify our Father right. who's in heaven by our good works. Amen. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room. Full sheen ahead. This fits for us too right now. America, Bishop Sheen says, it is said is suffering from intolerance. It's not. It's suffering from tolerance. Tolerance of right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and evil. Christ in our chaos. Our country is not nearly so overrun with bigots as it is overrun with broad-minded people. In other words, the people that say, so what if it's homosexuality? Who cares? That's their business. Who cares about fornication? That's their adultery. No, that's not what a world biblical view says. And I think Bishop Sheen said we nailed it because we can't tolerate sin. That's right, Terry, because we want to promote only what's good, beautiful, and true. The three transcendentals that, guess what? It points directly to God. Well said. Jesse, when we come back, I won't be back, but you're going to come back and talk about how the libraries became sanctuaries for sin. This is an amazing article because it traces it, and I think you're going to want to hear this. Stay with us, family. We're going to come back. Jesse will be back with the Terry and Jesse show. I like to say it right now. We're too blessed to be stressed. Yeah. (laughs) This is the biggest week of our life. Too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, we'd be, we'd be billionaires in graces. Because you know what? We want to follow Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Terry and Jesse show. So how did we get here? How did we descend into this entire LGBTQ month 
Pride Day, Pride Parades. How do we get desensitized? I believe it all started with the libraries. I believe that was a strategic point from the woke left, the LGBTQ movement. They wanted to make libraries sanctuaries for sin. The last couple of years, if you've noticed, I've noticed, that libraries have become, they become the latest battlefield in the culture war. Once a respectable and neutral space inside the community, the library has become the latest battlefield in the culture war against the woke left. And so, on one side, concerned parents are horrified by the pro-LGBT children's books on library shelves. Conversely, you have rabid liberals. They denounce the the bannings of these often pornographic books as violating the reader's rights. I can tell you that the clash between the two is becoming ever more intense. And of course, the liberal media is trying to reduce the debate to a narrative that portrays poor parents as backward book banners who who want to keep vital information away from children. You know, as Catholic parents, we have the obligation to protect our child's innocence as long as we can before they're corrupted by the culture of death and before they start giving in to their own concupiscence. But the Catholic parent is called to teach the children what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. Because those three transcendentals open up a child's faith to God Almighty. You know, parents are not preventing books from coming into the libraries. They're trying to get them out of the libraries. But no one seems to be asking how such a vast number of these books found their way into the library mainstream in the first place. This question should be at the center of the controversy. You know, a conspiracy theorist could not have made this up. You can't make this up. The answer is simple. These books are in the libraries because activists put them there. Woke, left, Marxist activists put these books in the library. And of course, they have the right president in office right now. And, uh, and the left basically runs the Senate. So they have political clout to do what they do. But this is an infiltration. This infiltration of literature into libraries started back in the 70s. Woke activists in the library field gradually introduced LGBTQ-themed books into school and public libraries. They did it without permission, unannounced, and unseen. 
and they impose their agenda upon their communities on a scale that is only now coming to light. Over the past two years, there have been 1,600 challenges to books already in libraries. So there's no need to contrive a conspiracy theory to make these affirmations. Liberals and librarians themselves, they tell the story. The liberal educational website, it's called The 74. It shows this step-by-step process in an article titled How Libraries Came to Be Sanctuaries for LGBT Kids. So the report shows how how a steady stream of often sexual explicit materials is directed to librarians sympathetic to the cause who fast-track them to the shelves. Libraries are sanctuaries for LGBT kids on purpose. The left knows what they're doing. Not even the most conspiracy theorists could imagine the radical programs that these librarians have put together to create these sanctuaries of the left. Which again, there are public libraries. It pains me. It pains me to realize, but it's a fact. There's a pro-LGBTQ network formed in the late 1960s. And the educational website, The 74, explains how the move to mainstream LGBTQ materials began in the 70s in the aftermath of the 1969 Stonewall riots in New York City. In other words, a new homosexual activism invaded all areas of the nation's cultural life. But here is how the infiltration began. In 1971, the American Library Association formed its task force on gay liberation to provide a public space for the homosexual cause. The association relied upon activists like Michael McConnell, a homosexual librarian specializing in curating LGBTQ books for library collections. His marriage to a man is the subject of a 2021 children's book entitled, quote, Two Grooms on a Cake, The Story of America's First Gay Wedding, close quote. Which, this book is the target of parents' complaints, since it clearly imposes an LGBTQ theme and targets children for confusion and diabolical disorientation. Early activists like Michael McConnell, they they lobbied publishers to target libraries 
with queer-friendly books. They arrange regular training for K-12 school librarians on how to encourage LGBTQ-confused students. And one set of skits taught reference desk staff how to deal with fearful patrons who were embarrassed to ask for these highly sexualized materials. So librarians were shown how to display these materials, mixing them with other causes to minimize controversy. And gradually, librarians learned how to turn the public library from a haven of learning to a sanctuary of safety and privacy. Of course, the woke librarians received their godless education from a Marxist college or university, so they're completely in line with this. Another influential activist of the task force was the late Barbara Giddings, a lesbian librarian from the early days of the struggle. She openly tells of her efforts to change the library culture in her book, Gays in Library Land, the Gay and Lesbian Task Force of the American Library Association, the first 16 years. Close quote. But I've noticed in my lifetime, as painful as this is, that the homosexual network grows and grows. The result of all these gradual efforts is that the LGBTQ-related materials are now plentiful and available for all library audiences, whether adult, student, or children. The 60s sounding task force on gay liberation has morphed into a woke rainbow roundtable. It focuses on screening LGBTQ-themed books to see which ones get shelved. It also gives awards to books that make the prize winners more attractive to librarians. And in 2018, the American Association of School Librarians published a document called Defending Intellectual Freedom, LGBTQ plus materials in school libraries. This document published teaches staff how to explain and defend these materials smuggled into libraries. This is plain and simple Marxism. In addition, libraries do not need to buy these LGBTQ plus books because there's an organization called G-L-S-E-N, which offers rainbow libraries. Rainbow libraries. Uh, G-L-S-E-N, it stands for uh, Gay, Lesbian, uh, I think Sexual Entertainment Network. Somebody can call me up or correct me. I know the, the first two are gay, lesbian, and the last one's Network. And so this organization, GLSEN, that has been offering rainbow libraries, which consist of, of boxed 10 book sets of age-appropriate books delivered to librarians 
with posters and other classroom resources. The boxed sets are set are now in 1,800 schools in 28 states. And the 74 article put out by this homosexual network, it notes that GLSEN plans to be in 3,000 schools by the end of the year. So they uh, are putting the pedal to the metal. They have no intentions of backing off. The word GLSCN stands for Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. In other words, what am I telling you? I'm telling you to, we've got to pray and fast and do penance for the culture of death in our country. Only with prayer and penance will some people convert, according to Our Lady of Fatima. Stick around, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. So how did our libraries become laboratories of the left? How did our libraries come to be sanctuaries for sin? Well, this has been a long time in the making. A lot of the materials that the gay, lesbian, straight educational network offers libraries, uh, they're there because of activists that hold these positions of office that are putting these materials, these pro-LGBT activists, who make no secret of their goals. Their goals are to brainwash our children, to accept a disordered, intrinsically evil, dangerous, immoral, sinful lifestyle. Now, this is not a health care issue. This is child abuse. The LGBTQ Library Network, it frames the debate as a child health issue. Not true. And its activists claim that the library is often the only safe space where inquiring, inquiring youth can discover their sexuality. So the left says without these resources, young people can despair and lives will be lost. Not having these, these leftist materials, they argue, will create a non-welcoming and hostile environment for the LGBTQ-confused student. But we all know, in an internet age where everything is available online, these claims hold no water. And furthermore, there's no proof that lives will be lost. What is known is that the content of many of these LGBTQ books is so indecent that it cannot be described on this radio show. It cannot be described in polite company. The effort to turn libraries into promotion centers for these obscene materials is to validate the LGBTQ lifestyle in the minds of young people. And come on, we all know what the goal is. The goal is to tear down some of the last barriers of modesty and decency that defend childhood innocence. And how do they want to do this? 
Simple. Under the false banner of health care. Under this false flag, children will be exposed to pornographic materials forbidden by law. This is child abuse to the highest degree. We, people of goodwill, men of faith, women of faith, we need to reframe the debate. Reframe the debate. The debate needs to be reframed into a moral one. It is wrong to subject anyone, especially children, to pornographic portrayals of unnatural vices. And when prominently displayed, as in the month of June, all these libraries are now turned into sanctuaries of sin, into dens of Satan. In the effort to create safe spaces for LGBTQ confused children, activists, librarians have turned them into unsafe spaces for countless Christian and Catholic children who wish to avoid occasions of sin, which is vital to our salvation. Parents are the guardians of their children before God and the nation. Parents have a duty to keep the children and themselves away from these materials that are so filthy and indignant that parents who attempt to read them at school board meetings are ordered to stop in the name of decency. Can you believe that? You know what? I'll tell you what the true nature of this culture war is. What's the true nature? Art, the, the 74 article put out by the LGBT community, the educational branch of the LGBT community called the 74 article, it shows that the library controversy is not the product of paranoid parents trying to prevent books from libraries. This is a brutal culture war. This is the product of a calculated and deliberate process of placing these books in libraries over decades. It is not enough that books be removed. The networks supplying steady streams of filth into America's libraries must be stopped. The nature of this culture war calls for ensuring the activists and library associations no, long, no longer work contrary to the parents and the community. Libraries should not be unsafe, hostile places where sin and vice are celebrated. Indeed, this struggle is much bigger than libraries themselves. The LGBTQ themes now aggressively appear in beer ads, department stores, baseball games, Everywhere it forces itself upon the public square, the culture war cannot be ignored. Everyone has to take a stand. I remember years ago, 
there was an actor named Corey Feldman who actually said he was a child actor. He says that pedophilia was the number one problem for child stars. And he said that as a result of pedophilia, he said he lost he lost his innocence and he lost his childhood. And he also talked spoke about another childhood actor friend whose name was Corey Haim or Corey Haim. Actor Corey Feldman, he blamed the adults around him and not just those looking to profit from charming children, but also some with far more sinister motives. He says this, quote, I can tell you that the number one problem in Hollywood was and is and always will be pedophilia. That's the biggest problem for children in this industry. It's the big secret, Corey Feldman said. Corey Feldman said that the casting couch which is the old Hollywood reference to actors being expected to offer sex for roles, applied to children as well. Corey Feldman said, oh yeah, not in the same way. It's all done under the radar, he said. Corey Feldman said, I was surrounded by pedophiles when I was 14 years old. Didn't even know it. It wasn't until I was old enough to realize what they were and what they wanted. That's when I went, oh my, oh my Lord. They were everywhere, Corey Feldman says now as an adult. Corey Feldman said that the trauma of pedophilia contributed to the 2010 death of his closest friend and the Lost Boys co-child star, Corey Heim. Corey Feldman said, there's one person to blame in the death of Corey Heim. And that person happens to be a Hollywood mogul. And that person needs to be exposed. But unfortunately, I can't be the one to do it, Feldman said, admitting that he too had been sexually abused by men in show business. Corey Feldman, who's now an adult, he said his realization followed the, the discovery of what, some of what some adults around him had allegedly done to other children. He says, there was a circle of older men around this group of kids and they all had either their own power or connections to great power in the entertainment industry. Here's something that I've wondered. Have you ever considered the number of child stars who have gone from Disney into rehab. They've gone from Disney into crazy. They have DUIs, meth addictions, coke addictions, heroin addictions, and suicidal ideation. I'm just asking the question, am I the only one that's noticed this? You know, we can't bemoan the signs of the times with heavy hearts or we can just say, woe is me, woe is me. And we can rightly say that the world is in control by evil men. And I get it. There's much in our society to lament. But our call is remember, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We focus on eyes, our eyes on Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a mini Easter. And as I'm reminded, in the midst of of incredible persecution, just like Mexico in the 1920s. 
descended into the government enacting a series of anti-clerical laws, government persecution against the Catholic Church during the Cristero Wars from 1926 to 1929, a war by the people of Mexico, the faithful, against the atheistic Masonic Mexican government. I'm reminded of the words of of St. Jose Sanchez del Rio. He asked his mother for permission to enlist with the Cristero troops who were fighting for religious freedom in Mexico. And when his mother tried to convince him not to enter into the war, he told his mom the following, Mom, it has never been so easy to earn heaven as it is now. I don't want to miss the chance, close quote. And that's what I'm telling all my fellow Catholics. There's never been an easier time to become a saint than now. Become saints. As Patrick Coffin says, what else is there? You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I want to talk about religious habits and the cassock. Why the devil hates religious habits. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. I got it. Archbishop Gomez wants people to pray Eucharistic adoration. Absolutely, that is fantastic. He's encouraging us to do that. But in addition, I believe, going out and making a witness, physical witness at Dodger Stadium We're in parking lot 13 and 14, and we'll be having prayers. Bishop Strickland will be blessing our organization. There are groups, lots of Catholic groups joining us, not just one. And he'll bless us with the relic of St. John Paul II. And John Paul II was at Dodger Stadium in 1987. I was there. We had a big sign that said, we support you, Pope John Paul II. And now he's back with a relic. To do the same thing. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here at Dodger Stadium. We want to invite you to come. Go to vmpr.org. Our flyer is right there on the website. Encouraging you to come and pray with us. And make a witness for Christ. In a world that acts like God doesn't exist. This is a... Remember the theology of the Catholic Church is public blasphemy and public sacrilege requires public prayers of reparation. So we're simply following the Catholic tradition on public uh, reparation prayers for those committing public sacrilege. So why is it that the devil hates the religious habit and the cassock? The witness of religious habits and cassocks, it upsets Satan. You know, for one day a year, some of the most faithful religious orders gather under one roof in the Midwest. You got Benedictines, Carmelites, Dominicans, Franciscans, Sisters of Life, and many more. Consisting of both male and female religious orders, 
though mostly sisters, these religious do not congregate to protest climate change. They don't congregate to talk about the death penalty or LGBTQ plus rights or women priests. They have far more important work to do, like the salvation of souls. And so every year, Franciscan University of Steubenville hosts an annual vocations fair in their Finnegan Fieldhouse, the sisters' flowing habits, rosaries dangling from their side, and joyful smiles are present. One almost feels like you're in heaven with so much joy, and rightly so. The religious habit communicates a bride of Christ's commitment to Christ and His church. Franciscan University does not discriminate against religious orders. So every year, some less traditional orders venture into the field house. A group of four or five nuns without their habits. And in this environment, these nuns will have difficulty attracting vocations, trust me. After all, little girls dream of wearing the traditional habit. Not a pantsuit and a butch haircut. Here's a story that's worth telling. Patrick O'Hearn, a friend of mine, he writes this. As I was entering the field house male locker room after working out, I was a graduate student at Franciscan at the time, one of the sisters without a habit began to venture into the woman's locker room. As she was about to enter the bathroom, an innocent freshman male student said somewhat frantically, you're going in the wrong bathroom. This college student could only see the back of the nun's head, that is, her butch haircut and suit coat. In a deep, somewhat manly voice, the sister turned around and said, that's okay, as she proceeded into the bathroom. The freshman boy's cheeks became red. He felt so embarrassed because he thought the sister was a man. Point well taken. Patrick O'Hearn said, I reassured the young man that it was an accident and that God's justice had allowed this humiliation. In reality, had sister worn a religious habit, this awkward exchange could have never occurred. This harkens back to the Saturday Night Live skit revolving around the character Pat, whose sex is unidentified. Pat is a poster child for those who claim to be non-binary. non-binary. But you probably won't see that skit anymore. As long as this sister and others like her continue to jettison the religious habits, they risk being confused as men. Furthermore, the lapel pin is not recognizable by everyone, nor the short haircut. What is recognizable to Catholics is the traditional habit, especially one with a veil that covers the nun's hair. Does not the habit resemble a wedding garment? Does it not show forth the splendor of the brides of Christ and who they are espoused to, Christ himself? Just as a married man does not leave home without his wedding ring, so ought the brides of Christ not leave the convent without their habit. The habit is also a sign of hope, especially hope in the resurrection. It literally points to heaven where Matthew twenty-two thirty says, we shall neither marry nor be married, but be as the angels as of God. Close quote. 
The recent headlines of Sister Wilhelmina's incorrupt body and intact traditional Benedictine habit ought to cause every nun to pause and reflect. Here's a woman who loved and fought for a traditional habit. How fitting that God also preserved her habit. The devil hates the religious habit and the cassock. The blasphemous LGBTQ plus group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, homosexual men, would not attack such a holy habit if it didn't mean anything. You don't see these imposters wearing lapel pins. No, the devil knows the power of the habit. Sadly, several religious orders, including male orders, rarely wear their habits for, for, their, for all their prayer times. Many also refrain from wearing their habit or cassock in public. It's almost as if they're embarrassed to belong to Christ. But let all the religious listen to these words from our Lord in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, where he says, For he that shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed of him when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Close quote. Sadly, many of us, myself included, says Patrick O'Hearn, spent years in, a ca- in Catholic schools without seeing a nun in a traditional habit. For the first nine years of my Catholic education, I was deprived of a sister's beautiful habit. Instead, I was taught by undercover nuns with short gray hair and suit coats. And we wondered why vocations to consecrated life continue to plummet each year compared to the to, to before the Second Vatican Council. Young girls do not want to walk around a labyrinth worshiping Mother Earth in secular clothes. No, they want to be conformed to Christ crucified, adoring their Eucharistic Lord all the days of their lives in a traditional religious habit. Sadly, many of us, myself included, spent years in Catholic schools without seeing a nun in a traditional habit. This leads me to my final story concerning a priest friend's encounter with Pope Benedict XVI. As my friend, a seminarian at the time, was studying in Rome, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger once visited his seminary. Seeing my friend in his cassock, Cardinal Ratzinger declared in a striking German accent, quote, I see you must be a good, you must be a good seminarian. You're wearing the cassock, close quote. For those pursuing the priesthood and for those who are ordained, the black cassock symbolizes poverty and death. And thus... Wearing the cassock is a constant reminder to them that they must no longer live for themselves, but die daily for their bride, the church, like Christ. It is true that the habit and cassock are an external sign, while virtue is the most important habit. But at the same time, our actions and outward appearances flow from our interior dispositions. To belong to Christ is a choice that involves everything, including one's garb. Just as we become what we eat, so also we become what we wear or don't wear. Either brides of Christ or brides of the world, or for the sisters of perpetual indulgence, brides of Satan. For those nuns who wear the traditional habit and belong to Christ, there's no mistake in their identity and who they are espoused to, Jesus himself. And that is one of the reasons why vocations are bursting at the seams for religious orders like the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, thanks to Sister Wilhelmina. Well, that's a wrap 
you've been listening to the Terry and Jesse show. If you want to see the teaching on consecrated virginity, just read Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. The theology of martyrdom, this is the perfect Christian witness in heaven. They're the ones who laid down their lives in testifying to Jesus Christ. And there, there's two classes of martyrs in heaven, the virgins and the martyrs. The early, the early church saw these two classes as preeminent saints. There is a unique holiness in consecrated celibacy. They set apart two classes as being the highest in heavenly Jerusalem, the martyrs and the virgins. Angels can't wait to see the death of martyrs and virgins because they glow with a heavenly brilliance, a glory from God. You know, in the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and 21, we have the unveiling of the bride of the Lamb. The new Jerusalem descends as a virgin bride out of heaven after a harlot city that has been burned with fire here on earth. Contrasting the two cities shows the whore of Babylon and the virginal bride of Christ. The virginal bride of Christ, the new city, comes from heaven. The whoring city of persecution on earth is old Jerusalem who rejected their Messiah. Well, that's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I've, I try to inspire. Well, I, I seek to inspire. I, see, I aspire to inspire until I expire. And by the way, as Catholics, remember, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful. God will hear our prayer. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Unite your prayers to the Virgin Most Powerful, the 12-star general. Pray your rosary. Read your Bible every day. And unite your prayers to the sword of St. Michael the Archangel. Let's continue delivering powerful blows to the kingdom of darkness and tear down the gates of hell, which is modernism, Marxism, and masonry. Christ conquers. Christ reigns. Christ commands. Long live Christ the King. See you next time.